We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Did you know Fred Zinke makes mistakes? It's true. And not just uh, adjusting for height on the doorknob. Uh, many more on the fantasy fi- side of things as well. We'll talk about that and my mistakes as well on the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast. Jeff Erickson here with Fred Zinke, uh, live from Wichita, Kansas. Here, uh, just got back from the Texas League playoffs, where uh, the Wichita wind surge lost, and the Frisco Rough Riders are now the champions in ten innings. So good stuff there, uh, Fred. How's it going? I'm good. Uh, yeah, how was minor league baseball tonight? Fun to watch. Oh, it's super fun. Uh, I love minor league baseball to begin with, and this experience was really cool. Um, I've never been to a minor league baseball game. That's, uh, really? Yeah. Oh, well, why, like, why would you? You're in Toronto. Yeah, exactly. Right? There's just not a lot of my. There used to be one in Ottawa, about three or four hours from here. I never went to a game. Uh, hasn't been there for many years now. So yeah, never been to a minor league. Been lots of minor hockey league games, things like that, but never a minor league baseball game. Well, I had a new experience. I was actually there when a team clinched a championship. Okay. And went nuts on the field. It was the visiting team, no less. But it was still really cool. I've seen it. You know. It's, been a been a part of you know when in our little leagues and things like mm-hmm. that seeing like a professional championship celebrated on the field from like the second row mm-hmm. really pretty cool we were that's sitting awesome. right next to the visitors dugout um cool. good stuff that's awesome yeah yeah at any level of baseball that would be fun yeah and wichita's got a gem of a ballpark uh riverfront stadium and it's two words um not to, not to be confused with cincinnati's riverfront stadium you could never confuse the two it's a gem it's a pretty little ballpark there. Um, it's like three or four years old. Really good stuff. Really enjoyed that. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was a good way to spend a Tuesday night. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Sounds good. I'll have to get it to a minor league baseball game someday in retirement. That'll be a bucket list retirement thing. Yeah, there's a lot of that going on right now. I'm for trying sure. to think about that. I'm only a couple of years away from the kids going to college. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't wait till retirement. I think that's maybe like a kids are in college sort of thing. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe that's synonymous for you. I don't know, but yeah. uh, we'll see. All right. This week, we're not going to do the what's news in baseball. You can read rotowire.com. You, if you don't already subscribe to Rotowire, see it right here, rotowire.com slash try. Get yourself that free trial. Uh, no credit card is required. You can read all of our latest news and uh, what it means and all that. We are on the other hand, we're going to go a little big topic here. Uh, we're going to talk about our top five mistakes of the year. I didn't tell you you're going to have to list them one through five. We're just going to talk about our top mistakes, really. But hey, SEO stuff there. So top five it is. Uh, but all right, let's talk about our top mistakes this year. Cause we all make them. We have our good leagues and our bad leagues. Sometimes it's a, you don't want to get too tied up into the actual results of a team, but that's yeah, usually a pretty, pretty good proxy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and figuring out, yeah, our top mistakes. I don't know. You can make a lot of mistakes and still win your league. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but so much of it. Yeah. Sometimes you just make too many. Some of them are not recoverable or hard to recover from. I, I think, I still think, yeah, figuring out where you went wrong at the, around this time of the year is probably the most valuable thing you could do because, uh, you know, truthfully, if, if all your picks could just hold serve and not, they don't have to be great. If all your picks held serve, you'd have a right. really, really good team. It's, that's really hard to pull off. So, but that's the goal. I think, I mean, having some, some Julio Rodriguez on your team is, 
is amazing. Uh, yeah. But just if all your if all your picks, honestly, if all your picks just meet expectations or come close to expectations, you'll have a really good team. So figuring out the picks or the common picks, if you have many teams like you and I do, figuring out common threads amongst your team of, of where things went wrong, uh, even on teams that were successful, I think it is a really good starting play point for, for your drafts for the next year. Some of my best received columns are the ones like, okay, what went wrong? Uh, is there a systemic problem or is it just a player selection problem? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, was it a strat? You know, is it a strategy thing? Is there something you overlooked? Like traditionally, for years, I undervalue speed. I think I still might a little bit there because if you do, like you and I do, we do uh, you know standing gains points for projections for values. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes that it, it's easy to underrate the saves and stolen bases because they're singular categories that are unrelated to any other category. I mean, there's some correlation that top you know top closers have good ratios and you know, better than other, better strikeouts than other relievers. But, um, and, and me, likewise, top stolen base guys are usually scoring a decent amount of runs, not always. Uh, but they, for the most part, these guys, they're here for one reason, to do those two particular categories. So they're not going to show up in overall values as well. That's right. And, and yeah, and if you use the SGPs, it'll depend how you weight those categories. Do you choose to artificially weight them a little heavier so you're more competitive in those categories? Um or, or, and to play the draft room and against mm-hmm. ADP because especially if you're going in big contests, you know you need some of those categories. Even if you're not going into big contests, you're not going to double punt saves and steals, right? So you have to be competitive in those categories. So it's uh, figuring out how you want to weight them in comparison to ADP so that you are competing in those categories. You know, you don't want to go overboard, but but how you attack them. And uh, yeah, some of my mistakes this year, as we start to delve into them, will be related to those particular categories. Sure. Absolutely. Happens all the time. So let's talk mistake number one. What is one big mistake that you, Fred Zinke, have made? Yeah, so one that I think I'm going to learn from is one Mr. Whit Merrifield. Um, I drafted him in, not everywhere or anything, but I drafted him in many places. I had him ranked very competitively i'd say higher than his adp so i probably took him a lot if i was near the two three turn in a 15 team league or maybe mid third in a 12 team league and merrifield was uh has been very disappointing he's hitting going into tonight he's hitting 235 with 10 homers and 16 steals so i was looking for you know he got 40 steals last (laughs) year i you know the rationale was he was consistently throughout his career a high average hitter, right? He was 277 right. had been his worst batting average in a season going into this year. Um, and he steals bases. He had 40 uh, last year. So the thinking on my part was, you know, if, if he could even get 30 and it'd be his usual, you know, 280 type, his career's average is still 284. If he could be that type of a hitter, um, then I'd be fine. Um his OPS, though, in his career is typically, like, other outside of a couple of years, was pretty low. Last year, it had been 7-11, um, mm-hmm. which is pretty poor. I think the lesson learned for me here is just beware players in the early rounds as foundational pieces who just aren't really that good of an actual player. Um, <laughs> right? So, I mean... It seems like that's of, such a truism, but when you, when you think about it, you know what you're saying. But you know what I'm saying. Like, you know, yeah. It's yeah, draft good players. Yeah. yeah, and I mean, he had. It's not like he, like I say, he had back-to-back years in 2018 and 2019 where he had an OPS over 800. And if you can get a steals guy with an OPS over 800, that's good. But that hadn't been him really the last couple of years. Um, yeah, I, I mean, the, the what really killed him, like he got off to a really slow start this year. That hurt him a lot. Then he was kind of with Maryfield like for a little while. But then the fact that he's not a very good player meant that at the trade deadline, which I didn't really see coming and people weren't really talking about prior to the season, but at the trade deadline, like the Royals were fine with parting with him because again, he's not a really good player to help an actual baseball team. And then the teams looking at him, like the Blue Jays don't necessarily look at him as a full-time player because of the way he's playing. And then, so with the Jays, he's been kind of in and out of the lineup. Um, It's not really about Whit Merrifield in particular. For me, the lesson is, you know, beware speed guys early on who just aren't great players i took for example i took ahmed rosario in the middle rounds of some drafts he's turned out fine but the acquisition cost there was more reasonable we were talking about maybe my 11th round pick 
or something like that if it hadn't really worked out. Whereas with Merrifield was typically my third round pick when I when I selected him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, end of second, beginning of third is typically where he went, and yeah, it's a lot of draft capital for a specialist. And if there's that, t- and that's the problem is like if he tapers off, you know, then every, all all the category juice goes away, and that's, yeah. that's been tricky. I mean, yeah, I mean, like, I look, and I, even as I look at his stat lines, I'm like, okay, I can see what I was thinking. Like, he scored 97 runs last year. Mm-hmm. You know, he like, that was the whole thought is he's always a high average hitter. He always hits high in the lineup. But again, expecting a guy who's not a very, not a top overall real life player to continue to hit leadoff or second in a lineup, that was always kind of like a Royals thing. They just overlooked the fact that his on-base percentages weren't often that great. And hit him high in the lineup, anyways. But you know, there was always that potential. There, like we talked about, like a range of outcomes, right? Like once he had a, like once he just went to the to the little bit south side of his range of outcomes, all of a sudden that OBP is not even three hundred, and they just can't keep him high in the lineup. And now he's hitting at the bottom of the lineup or not playing at all. It's just like it's, it's the margin of error for a player like that. So. I mean, to be to put it in perspective, and this will sound incredibly foolish, when a lot of us did this, like he was selected ahead of Aaron Judge in a lot of leagues. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Aaron Judge went to Scott Genstad at pick sixty in one league, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, that that's just insane. But yeah. you know, it's just illustrative of how bad it can, you know, you know how bad that 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 can be. I mean, that's just like the worst case scenario, obviously. Uh, so there you go. I'll say my first one, um, and I'm looking through my uh, NFBC uh, universe leagues for this, uh, is I, I'm in 12 leagues that play in the NF, NFBC universe. Uh, and, you know, that includes NFBC 50s, includes, you know, the main event, online championship, and any, it, it includes Raz Slam and, every, you know, all that. Um, there is one in 10 of the 12 leagues – I have more pitching points than hitting points. I just did not draft enough hitting. Um, now the question is: Is it because that I draft the wrong hitters, or am I not allocating enough early resources to pitching? And that's the next step. I, I mean, to hitting. That's the next step I have to go through. Except for my very worst team. My very worst team is just this awful NFBC fifty team where I have ten. Count them ten pitching points total. I mean, it's hard to have ten pitching points when you have five yeah. pitching categories. But I, I yeah. did it. Uh, mission, you know, achievement unlocked. But uh, and almost most of my, even good teams, good teams and bad teams, I had all but all but two leagues. I had more, way more pitching points than hitting points. Some it's close, uh, like Scarf. I'm really close uh, where I'm I'm winning the league. Um, I've got another one where uh, in a main event where I'm doing well. I'm in second now in that league, not first. I'm probably not going to win it. Um, but uh, you know, it, it's it's almost always I've got more pitching than hitting. So that's something I have to figure out. Am I do, am I better at evaluating pitchers? Is there something I'm missing with hitting, or is it I'm just not allocating enough? So I, that's that's one thing I want to evaluate. Yeah, I actually have a similar. That was one of my points as well, especially for DCs. Um, like typically, my pitching on my DC teams have more points than my hitting. I think mm-hmm. I didn't draft enough hitters uh, on those teams, and and in those leagues, you can't pivot. Right. And Tout Wars right. was one for me. Like I'm sitting like, I don't know, fifth, about fifth in Tout Wars kind of goes by the day. I move up and down a little bit and my pitching's great. Like my, even this late in the season in a draft champions, my pitching looks better than most people's pitching lineups, <laughs> you know, on right. teams where they can make, make waiver wire moves. Maybe that I've just been lucky in that regard, but my hitting is like so bad and going back to it. Like I, I may, I had some picks that were just not good, but at the same time, I'm wondering if I put I put a little too many resources early on in pitching. If I was drafting in a lot of these like like two aces and a couple good closers, and it just and then, and then getting some pitchers to supplement them around maybe rounds nine nine ten and yeah, I think I I agree with you. Um, you know, I don't want to ignore pitching. We're way past that as a fantasy fantasy community, right? Fifteen years ago, you'd have people say just wait on pitching. Just load right. up on bats, wait on pitching. It's so volatile. You'll figure it out. I, I think we're way past that now, but I think maybe for myself personally, in some leagues, I swung a little too far. Yeah. The other I direction. Well, and again, it's reading the room, reading uh, what everybody else is doing and try not to do that. Uh, you know, it's easy to say, well, oh, they're drafting it. You know, the main event starting pitching inflation. Oh, Dalton Del Don's in my league. Oh boy. I better get pitching early. No, that's the wrong reaction. 
because you're you're competing, you know, you're creating that scarcity for yourself. You're not taking advantage of the opportunity that's been created for you there. And you need to find maybe find a way instead find a way to identify the cheaper pitchers or find like, okay, I'm going to wait on closers. Uh, the main event team said main event team that's doing well. I didn't take a closer until Scott Barlow in the eighth round. And he's even a half closer at that. And I didn't take another one until like the, in the twenties somewhere there. I just kept on saying, no, I'm not going to pay that price. And I think I was rewarded for that. The team that's, that's beating me in that league. He was even more of that case. He took three pitchers in the uh, first among his first uh, 12 picks. He didn't take a relief pitcher until the 13th round, and then he took David Bednar, who was okay for a while, and then he kind of dropped off. But point being is, you know, he bullied the hitting, and he's crushing the hitting categories in our league. Helps that the first three starters were Bueller, who was good until he got hurt, Verlander and Gilbert. So Verlander and Gilbert have been good all season, uh, and he's had some other good pickups and all that. But point is, like, he really had that strategy, bullied the hitting, took advantage of everybody freaking out about the starting pitching. And, and closers for that matter too, because it was closer madness this year. Uh, and I think maybe there's, you know, when you, when you ignored that panic a little bit, that's when you did well. Yeah. Which actually great segue to, I, I would say what my next one that I'll bring up is, uh, okay. was the early closers. Um, I, I wouldn't say I was <laughs> at the forefront of that, like in this industry, but I got on board to a degree. Like I have some Liam Hendricks as a third rounder. Mm-hmm. Um, and then later in draft season, I have some Ryan Presley as like a fourth rounder. He was fine, but like not great. I know we talked and so did you and Scott about how it seemed like every time Ryan Presley was day to day, the Astros would just rack up save chances, which right. just maybe was unlucky, but he was okay. Um, Hendricks was like, okay. Like he's among the saves leaders, but he wasn't special. Like they could take a closer around three. Like he better be really good. Um, and then I have Summer Rawls Chapman. That's obviously was a huge bust. Um, I don't think I said it on this podcast, but one of my favorite stats, I don't know if it still applies, but as of a couple of weeks ago, it still did, is the, the trivia question, who has the most saves this year without a blown save? And the answer is Rawls Chapman. At least it was a couple of weeks ago. I haven't yeah. bothered to look it up anymore, but which is just fascinating for someone who's who's was such an incredible bust. But um, Yeah, because I, all of his blow-ups came in non-save situations. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, it's just remarkable that he lost his job and and probably deserved to lose his job. Um, he, but still has doesn't have a, didn't or at least a few like say a couple weeks ago he didn't have a blown save. I think he had like nine saves and everyone else in the league who had nine or more saves had a blown save. Um, uh, anyway, still is nine for nine in save chances. There you the go. Um, so yeah, I think maybe I got. I don't know if I guess I got, maybe I or we as an industry I don't know felt like maybe got carried away with the closers a little bit and uh it feels like when you do it that you're taking the pressure off yourself you're like great i'm just gonna draft liam hendricks and Aroldis chapman or i'm just gonna draft you know ryan presley and giovanni gallegos and now i'm not gonna have to fight for saves and i'm gonna save my resources on the waiver wire and um and everything and but like it's a lot of draft capital and I mentioned this on, on this podcast a couple of weeks ago that as, as annoying as chasing saves on the waiver wire is, it may just be a necessary part of being successful in the 2022 landscape. Like we're just, we're not in the early 2000s anymore where teams have a closer and just use them all the time. And then he gets hurt and they just right. pivot to their next best reliever and use them all the time. And it's like super predictable back. It was super predictable back then. Like the best relievers were tipped on a team, not always, but typically were the closers. And again, if the closer got hurt, they'd almost go to the next best reliever and he'd be the new closer. And it just doesn't work like that with a lot of teams anymore. So it's frustrating chasing these saves, but maybe it's actually just part of being successful is finding cheap saves on the waiver wire. Because again, that, those picks that I used on Hendricks, you know, Hey, I could have used them on Whit Merrifield. No, I'm just kidding. Like maybe I could have used them though on, on Aaron right. judge or Pete Alonzo or something like that. Or uh, a stud starter that was available yes. in the third round, you know, yep. many different options you could have yeah. gone there and just held serve again, Raphael Devers in the, like the, you know, well, maybe not third round. That's actually probably a bad comparison. Like he's probably you know, mid early to mid second round now. That mm-hmm. I think about it, but, you know, there, there are many good examples in that area there. So uh, just as, you know, as a talk, you know, Starling Marte, you know, late injury, notwithstanding, he's, he was a value pick. You, you're fine with what you got from Shane Bieber there. You're fine with Aaron Nola from there. 
Um, there, there are plenty of others. Judge obviously was a huge win in the third round. Uh, but if you pushed up Craig Kimbrell to the third round, for instance, as someone did in one of my main event leagues, I'm looking at the board right now. Oh, you know, then right yes, after that, that we're, like that's the that feels like the foolishness looking back on it. it that was aggressive, obviously, even even for Kimbrel. Yeah, but yeah, like you're taking Craig Kimbrel, who didn't even pitch well last year. Right, like just got traded him. the Dodgers two days before that draft, and I guarantee you that yeah. has something to do with it. I mean, you're taking a guy like that, even if it wasn't the third round, if it was like the fourth round or the fifth round. So say maybe you're passing up on like a George Springer or something like that. Mm-hmm. to try Kimbrel, And I know we need the saves, but, and I know no one likes mining the saves on the waiver wire, but we've, we've talked on here about how, like you got a few weeks out of Ian Kennedy and then he started to stink again. You jumped off like right lately. I've been using uh, Brandon Hughes from the Cubs like a little bit, and he's been getting the odd save. He didn't get one tonight. It's really frustrating, but it, I got a few saves out of him. And I think I paid like $5 for him on the waiver wire. Um, like maybe this just maybe you need to get a, a closer, but maybe mm-hmm. the rest of it is, you know, part of the battle is just figuring out ways to scrounge for saves all season. Yeah, I agreed. Hundred yeah. percent agreed. Yeah, oh, about that there. Yeah. Uh, next pl- next mistake for me is a specific player. Um, it's not good when your most rostered player in the NFBC format is no longer your most rostered player uh, later in the season. That for me was Dylan Carlson. I had him in like seven or eight NFPC leagues out of tw- a possible 12. I now have him in three, and those are all like DCs where I can't cut him basically. Uh, I thought, you know, this is a guy who is, you know, is in his age 23 season. He was, you know, all the outputs like, yes, he did this. His exit velocity was only 29 percentile, but it was close to league average on fly balls. You know, it was good for, it was 113 WRC plus. Impressive for a 22-year-old. Not impressive, but impressive for a 22-year-old. He expected that next step. I projected too much out of him, and I relied on that. And I was expending, I was just spending pretty decent draft capital. We're talking like, you know, ninth, tenth, eleventh round in the 15 teamer. And you know what I got for him is a 238 average for while I had him at least eight homers, 40 RBI, five stolen bases, you know, 52 runs. It's not enough of anything. And this was, I think this was actually something where I, I, I saw took a shining to a particular player. I liked him, and I, I was willing to overlook his flaws and say, I can project good, you know, a good season, a great season out of him, better than what the estimators are saying. I can beat the field on this one. This is me beating ADP. No, it wasn't. Uh, I lost badly. Yeah, I, I can I can see. Like, I've fallen victim to that as well. Um, I think of the, the tip, the classic tip in the baseball forecaster about how development isn't often linear right yes. i mean like we shouldn't write dylan like now dylan carlson's a post type sleeper for next year probably um, yeah it's like that but that's i always remember that quote from that book every year that development isn't always linear and like you said and i get i get this i've done it before too like you look at a guy and you know like like you said the, like the the data the stat cast data like it's showing flaws but you look at his age and you're like, okay, he's a full-time player and he's really young. He's just, he's going to improve, but development yeah. isn't always linear. And because of those flaws, he's taken a step back this year. Maybe he circles back and eventually takes the step forward, but that doesn't help you for this year. So no, yeah, just not automatic. I, I could see that being a takeaway for sure. Just not automatically assuming that young players, each young player is going to take a step forward because they all, they don't always, sometimes you do, you hit, Hit, hit the Vladimir Guerrero in the breakout season from like right from a year ago um, and thing and you get like a league winning type player but they don't all hit they don't all improve it's not like you are x amount of good at 21 and then you're a little better at 22 and a little better at 23 and a little better at 24 so we should evaluate those players maybe more according to the data than just their age yeah I think that's absolutely yeah. right yeah um, so there it goes uh, before we get to Fred's next one here quick note from our sponsors on the Blue Wire Network We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. All of our podcasts indeed are hosted on the Blue Wire Network and we thank them for that. Uh, Fred, mistake number three, what do you got? Yeah, so this is I'll, I'll I'll kind of spin off your Dylan Carlson one and uh, and go with a specific player. Uh, mine would definitely this year be Robbie Grossman, um, and this again is this is a little bit like Whit Merrifield. Like I knew Whit, it's different, but like I knew Whit Merrifield doesn't fit the profile of an early round player because he's not good enough. Robbie Grossman, like, like I know, I know, I know that I shouldn't trust a past thirty year old breakout season Mm -hmm. and I loved loved Robbie Grossman last year I had him on so many teams I thought he was going to have a a breakout season maybe not to the degree he did but I thought he was going to have a solid season I took him late in a lot of drafts or picked him up off waivers early last year 23 homers 20 steals like huge season for a guy who was basically a waiver wire guy and coming into this year like again like I like all through it's funny how we spent so long on the projections and I know the rules. Like I know not to buy like a past 30 year old breakout season, but at the same time I had such a good vibe on him coming off last year. And I was like, okay, maybe he regresses a bit, but like he's right. He's going to be good again. You know, maybe the the 23 homers becomes 18, maybe the 20 steals becomes 15, but he's going to be good again this year. And obviously he just totally fell off a cliff which is not shocking because he's not, hasn't been a great player in his career. And this year he's been awful, like 617 OPS. I dropped a months ago. Um, famously, I've mentioned this on here before where I took him over Kyle Schwarber in Tow Wars. Yeah. And yes. like, I knew that was a mistake when I did it, but actually if you go back and look at their ADPs from like from draft season, they're actually not that far apart. Like it wasn't like a terrible, terrible idea, but um but yeah, that cost me a ton in that league where I don't have enough hitting because I because I'm stuck with Grossman all year. It's a DC. Uh, I'm stuck with him all year, and he's not doing anything. And I could have had 40 home runs. So and my team's light on power. But that one. So 
you know, my lesson there is pretty obvious. Like, don't trust the late career breakout season. Project serious regression off those players. And if they happen to repeat it, then good right. for them. But don't pay for it. Because I was paying for him, say, in round, like, 12 in a lot of 15-team leagues. And, and I was like, super excited about it. And obviously, it didn't work out at all. No, it didn't. Uh, and that, that's frustrating there. Uh, my next mistake is in a keeper league. It was a... W- you know, going for it when the team really wasn't that good sort of Terry. Got uh, got caught up in the moment, thought that I had a chance in the Rotowire Staff Keeper League. I really didn't. Um, and I overpaid. I trade away my top prospects. Now I have to, you know, it's going to slow down the rebuilding process quite a bit. You know, it would have been nice to have a, you know, a, a, a Gunnar Henderson on his first, first year contract. Yes, it would have yep. been very nice to do that. Yep. Chris, Chris List was, uh, yeah, he, he was on air with us and he was talking about how you couldn't get a fair deal uh, for a couple of his stud players. And I'm like, well, I'll make you an offer. I was like, I had to look at there. Yes, I was in like fifth or sixth place, but fundamentals. I could look at the team and I knew that it was, okay, I'm off to a good start, but it's not that great of a team. And I was like, you know what? No, I'm going to trade myself into this here. And that's, that's fun. It's, it's fun to go for it. Well, guess what? You got to really make sure that you're ready to go for it there. And I wasn't. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting on that one there. Uh, so yeah. And, and it sucks now because I, I traded away my, the top players in my farm system. Now I, I did sell off and I did get, you know, try to start the rebuild process, but I mean, come on, I just cost myself my best prospect one of the top five prospects in baseball. Ugh, so bad. Yeah. It's funny how, and I'm not a, not a keeper dynasty player much, but it's funny how a lot of the things we're talking about so far is about getting enthusiastic behind something when the logic tells you that you probably shouldn't, right? Like in this mm-hmm. case, it was your, t- it was that particular team. Like, like you said, like if you step, step back and look at them, you're like, this is probably not a championship roster. I know they're off to a good start, but like if you, logically, logically on Robbie Grossman, logically on Whit Merrifield, logically on Dylan Carlson, like some of it's, yeah, where we get our heart into something and you want to believe. Right. And I think that's maybe what happened to you there. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. So yeah, I, it, it's, you know, other leagues you can make the, I have another keeper league where I didn't make any trades thinking it was, it was sufficient. I had a big enough lead. I didn't make a trade. My, my rival Jeff Bookbinder, who is, uh, I, I've mentioned him. I'm in a, lot, a couple leagues with him every year. He's a, one, he introduced me to the guy that started, you know, to Peter Shanky, and we started Rotowire together. Introduced me to my wife. I guess that's my gift to him is I didn't make any go for a trade in that league. So I thought, hey, my team is on the floor. Didn't work out so far. I'm now trailing by five points after leading by ten most of the season. Oh, any chance you come back or not really? There's a there's a small pathway there, but yeah, it, it's not looking great. I mean, we're, we're t- we got like 10 days left. I mean, nine days left. Yeah, now. nine days left. Yeah. Okay. My next one I'm going to mention, and I don't know if this, so I'm actually interested in looking into this at the end of the season, like between mm-hmm. when the regular season ends and when I start my projections again, probably in December. Um, I, I struck out on a lot of pitchers in like the picks, like a hundred to 150 range. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd say earlier in draft season, these picks were more like, 130 to 170 and then as pitching gosh got pushed up they were more like 100 to 150 but just to throw some examples out there um, I have a lot of Sean Mania who got off to a good start this season and yeah. then really tailed off I have a lot of Luis Garcia and you're gonna say Luis Garcia he had a pretty good season like which he he was okay I mean, it was like, good tonight by the way pardon me and good tonight by the way yeah so like he's been fine like but his ERA was four like a week or two ago so like, he hasn't had like a great season. Like he, his ER, he was hurting your team ERA as recently as, as a couple of weeks ago. Um, I know he's pushed it back down into the threes. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez was in there. He's been really bad. Frankie Montas. I drafted on a lot of teams. He'd be on the early end of that pick 100 to 150, but he now has a 405 ERA. So he, he's he hurt my terrible with the Yankees. I know. Terrible. And, he, and he's hurt my ERA and he's hurt. And even he has a 125 whip that in this era that hurts your whip. Like most of my teams, their whips are under 1.2. So he's turning my whip. He has five wins. And, and I know it's like oh, five wins. That's so terrible. But really we knew going into the season that he was pitching on arguably the worst team in baseball with the A's. I mean, they didn't finish. They're not going to finish last, but they're right down there. We knew wins would probably be a problem. And sure enough, on the A's, 19 starts, pitched really well. He got four wins. 
So like we saw, we kind of saw that coming. Um, I'm interested to look at pictures. Like I haven't decided exactly how I'll just, I, like I'm not going to do this probably for an article. Um, so I'll just do it for my own knowledge, but I am interested in looking at pictures, say dividing them up. Uh, let's just say it's just ran, Let's just say randomly the first 10 by ADP and how many dollars they earned on average, the next 10, the next 10, et cetera. And I just, I'm interested to see if pitchers who went in that Mania Garcia, Eduardo Rodriguez range, if they were good values or if in general they weren't good values. Like I did miss on Manoa. Um, he's I paid kind up of for the, Manoa though. He's kind of in the front end of that range, like around where Montas was. Mm-hmm. Um, I missed it. I have a little bit of McClanahan. He was kind of again at the front end of that range. Um, you want to throw in a big bust on the front end of that range is Jose Barrios, another bad start tonight. Um, like he was just a killer and I have him on a couple teams. So I'm interested. I have typically in all the years I've played fantasy, I've actually typically avoided that range for starting pitchers. I usually get them early and I get them late and I pound hitting in that range. Um, cause I find hitters in that range are still right. Lineup regulars, not much chance of losing their job. You know, a lot of different skill sets to target depending on what you need this year. I liked a bunch of the pitchers in that range, such as Manaya and Garcia, um, and Montas. And so I went after them, kind of changed my strategy. I don't like how it turned out. And I think that helped impact the, the bad hitting. Because I don't think this is a structural problem. I think this is you got the wrong pitchers problem. Maybe. Um, so I'm just going by, and this is an ADP. This is just one draft. I'm looking at the grid. So yeah. Rios is the start of that range at 5.4. Disaster. Absolutely. Trevor Rogers was a disaster at 5.12. Uh-huh. Kevin Gossman at 5.15, you're Good. perfectly fine with. Carlos Rodon at 6.3, you're fine with. Good. Lance Lynn, okay, that was a problem. Disaster. Alex Manoa, I got him in the seventh in the sixth round. Very happy. There's Montas. Okay, problem. You Darvish, very happy. Charlie Morton, you're pretty good with. Shane McClanahan, very happy. Uh, Chris Bassett, you're very happy. Blake Snell, surprisingly, you're probably okay with, even though you didn't think you were going to be. Yeah. Erod, ugh. Okay. Kershaw, yep, happy. Logan Gilbert, happy. Uh, Pablo Lopez, Luis Garcia, those guys were in the eighth. That's a little early than, than what Garcia was going earlier in the draft season, but mm-hmm. yeah. You know, I mean, so there, it's just my point is it's mixed results. Yeah. I, mean, I don't yeah. think it's really a systemic problem. I think it's uh, yeah, it you get the right picture. Framber yeah. Valdez at the very end of that range, Manaya at the very end of that range. They give you contrast there. If you go a little further, what are, who do they say the next two or three? Okay, Avaldi, Tyler so, Malley. I have a lot of him. Yeah, that didn't work out. Patrick yeah. Sandoval was pushed up in this league, so it's probably not a good example. Yeah. Sonny Gray, eh. Nah. He had his moments, but then he always came up small at other moments. Ian yeah. Anderson, utter disaster. And then it's just a, there's a big blank. There's it actually not a looks, whole lot of pitchers going in after so that. So that list, so I was kind of counting in my head as you were going through them. And you're right, the like good pick to bad pick ratio was pretty good <laughs> for a while. And then it kind of tails off around yeah. where we got to Manaya. There's like a bunch of them in that group. That was a, that was a good time to pound hitting, by the way. Absolutely. So that's where I got it, Dansby and Adamas. Yeah, yeah, that was nice. So that so maybe that's just a one year blip where there's a group of a half a dozen pitchers there and most of them mm-hmm. were bust. Um, yeah. Anyways, like I said, th- I think the reason it bothers me is it isn't typical for how I've been building my pitching staffs for 20 years. Like I said, I'm usually early and late on starting pitching and not much in the middle. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'll reevaluate it and see what I think. But and that's why I wanted to kind of do what you did, except I'll I'll just go over to RotoWire and grab dollar values for all those players. Right. And just, Take and a contrast look at it versus ADP. So yeah, you, you know, main event ADP. If you want to do it for, by that, or do it yeah. by twelve team ADP. I mean, you can do both, and that's, yeah. that's the fun thing. You can you can do that, and maybe you can even isolate for a certain date range. The NFBC's tools there on the ADP tool are phenomenal. Uh, yeah, just so good. Yeah, as far as that goes. Yeah. All right. Uh, before I, I share my next uh, mistake, it was a mistake. A quick note from our friends at So Rare. So Rare MLB is an NFT based free-to-play baseball game played with officially licensed Major League Baseball cards. Sign up today at sorare.com MLB and you'll receive 13 common cards to start your collection. Build seven-player lineups from cards in your collection and play weekly competitions with scoring based on real-life player performance. Compete for rewards with other fans around the world. 
For more information on gameplay and to sign up, visit sorare.com slash MLB. There's no better time to join Sorare than ahead of our postseason gameplay. We're going to be talking with uh, the folks from Sorare uh, next Thursday uh, in our uh, last Thursday outside guest podcast. So uh, looking forward to that one there. I'm going to try to play their postseason game. I think it should be a lot of fun. Uh, when I don't have 7,000 other leagues to play in, so that'll be nice. Um, all right, my next mistake. I've got religion on not stashing injured guys. Don't do it. Don't get injury optimism. Yes. Scott Pantanowski's right. Then I was the guy that drafted Tatis in the Vegas main, where I famously bragged about getting him later than anybody else. At least I, I spent an 11th round pick on him, but that didn't work out. And I replaced him with Wander Franco who is just finally starting to hit, um, you know, hit, but it's fits and starts. I'm still not even getting full mileage off of that, but I just didn't, I, I learned a lesson. Then I read, I need to relearn it. Uh, don't be, don't be doing the stashes. It's just very, you know, there are times when it works out and there's times when it works out with prospects, but more often than not, especially in these leagues where you don't have DL spots, IR spots, man, uh, it just, it costs, too much draft capital and too too much roster capital. Yeah, injury optimism is not your friend. I actually just wrote a lessons learned from 2022 article for Yahoo about a week ago, and that was one of them. It wasn't my personal lessons learned. It was just gen- general fantasy lessons learned. And, yeah, I mean, DeGrom and Tatis were the headliners on that. Like, they were both in draft season. We were talking like, hey, they could be back in June, maybe by the start of July at the latest. And DeGrom came back in early August. Tatis was probably looking at mid-August if it wasn't for the suspension. Yeah, just chasing injured players. Once in a while, it works out. It generally, I think you know the rule of thumb has to be you know take take his expected return date, add a few weeks to it, and then see where he comes out in your rankings. Like if you took, and then you just probably won't end up getting him. But if you had taken the Degrom, which was a very loose timeline when we drafted, if you had said, well, people are talking like late June, I'm going to add a month to that to tease. People are talking like late June, I'm going to add a month to that. You probably just wouldn't have ended up with them once you, once you projected them out, but at least you, if you did end up with them, you would have invested so little in them. Maybe, maybe it would have made more sense, but yeah, injury optimism is that adds to what we've been talking about a lot tonight. Optimism is generally optimism in the face of, of, of logic is usually not your friend. No, it sure isn't. And, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, and the thing is, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to be on Tatis this year. Like, Am I going to do the damn thing? I did the damn thing. All right. Yeah. Oh, yay. Yeah. Just, all right. So there you go. All right. Last one for you. Last mistake by Fred Zinke. Um, Unless you want to add go. more. Uh, I'm going to go with, I'm deciding between two. I think one mistake that I think is a big one for me that I want to learn from is I kind of dismissed good players who don't steal bases in the early rounds because they just like weren't part of the plan. Yeah. Um, so it didn't matter how good Jordan Alvarez was as a hitter or Aaron judge. I, I wasn't that totally into those guys because they also had some injury concerns. Uh, right. Like, like judge had been a little injury prone in his career going into this year. Alvarez like had earlier in his career, had some injury problems, but I'll give you a good one for me was Pete Alonso. So I really liked Pete Alonso going into this season and I was like, Oh, he just doesn't really fit the plan. Um, mm-hmm. he doesn't steal bases and I want to get steals and I want to get starters early. And, and I got to get these early closers because everyone's getting early closers. So I just don't have room to draft Pete Alonso. So I'll just get my first baseman later. Mm-hmm. And I do get that like first baseman, there are some plenty of good first baseman, but I mean, come on. Like I couldn't have used Pete Alonso this year on a lot of my teams and all those home runs and all those RBIs. So I think I need to be more open to different types of builds and to the concept, especially in standalone leagues, that you know, if I if I really like if someone like Pete Alonso comes out really high in my projections, go ahead and take him. Be a little bit light on steals. Right. Like figure that out later in your draft. Figure it out on the waiver wire. There's Jake McCarthy's out there. There's John Birdie's out there. Like you could figure some of this stuff out. Like just get good players who you believe in. So I'm going to try to be more open-minded to different types of builds. This the last few years I've been very locked in on if I'm taking a hitter in about the first five rounds, like he needs to contribute at least say at least a double-digit steals total. And I, I want to move off that a little bit. I think that's right. I mean, I think at some point, well, I'll, I'll, I'll I'm going to follow that up with my mistake which is okay. okay you don't have to get it in those early rounds 
but you have to get it and you got to have a plan. Yep. Yep. Um, XFL, uh, another keeper league, keeper, quasi dynasty, quasi keeper. We have salaries, but we have, you don't have to do long-term contracts. You can only keep 15 players, but you can like, you can keep minor leaguers in mm-hmm. you, guys. You draft as minor leaguers only go up $3 a year. So essentially you're keeping in perpetuity. If I have a league, you know, this is an XFL. I've got like Vlad and uh, Soto super cheap, right? Um, and I, I added a bunch of good hitters. However, I missed on Tommy Edmond in the draft. I knew that I was like, he was one of those stolen base targets. Like, all right, who am I going to settle for? I didn't really have a the plan. Like, okay, I need to get this category. And when you're in a keeper league, you can't punt a category. You, it, it, you can, I suppose, but very difficult to do. I have a good team. I, I made all sorts of go for it trades, but I have two points in stolen bases in a 15 team league, just an absolute albatross on my team. Can't have that. And I do. And so uh, that I think I felt like, you know, I didn't have enough of a plan there. Didn't, didn't really set it up right. I missed on my one target that I thought, okay, he'd be perfect for this team. If I don't, you know, and I thought, okay, there's this other guy that could be perfect for this team. I didn't get either of them. And like, okay, well, I'll settle. You know, Trent Grisham, I can project him to, you know, I'm going to will him into having a good season. Uh, it didn't work out. <laughs> no, you were, we were, you were not able to do that. You're right. This is what makes steals so maddening is, mm-hmm. and I think my approach to steals was similar to my approach in some of the leagues and a lot of people's approach to closers. It was, I'll just get them early and then I don't have to worry about them. <laughs> right. Because they dry up and they disappear. Closers, get them early. There are a lot of teams like the Reds who don't use a closer. Right. Rays, it's fear that drives this. Absolutely. Right. So I'm just going to, so I'm just going to, so I'm going to start my draft. I'm going to get a guy like Whit Merrifield and I'm going to get another guy who steals some bases and, you know, a couple guys who steal bases. And then I'm going to get an ace and then I'm going to get a couple closers who are really good and then i don't have to worry about saves i don't have to worry about steals and i can just attack the other categories the rest of the way which is like like a really cool plan when your draft finishes but then later in the season when one of those closers has gone belly up and then one of these base stealers has gone belly up and then you're like oh great and now i you know i don't have any steals waiting to compensate for that because i thought i had my steals sorted out i don't have any relievers to help with that so I think it's the same kind of feeling as it's comforting to feel it's comforting to come out of. We talked about in my, in our labor league, I started mm-hmm. with Jose Ramirez went well, Tay Oscar and Whit Merrifield. I had a second pick. I, I just happened to remember that draft because I did it early. So it's kind of isolated in my mind. And I right. remember coming out of that saying, Oh, I've got like whatever 65 steals, 70 steals between those three guys. Well, right. Oops. Didn't, didn't quite Oopsies. work out that way. Did it? Yeah in a, in a kind of mid place team, um, it, it, that, that felt reassuring. And then, you know, I also took some relievers. Oh, adding into the relievers early Rizel Iglesias. There was another one who went, went early and then, you know, mm-hmm. didn't turn out very well. Um, well, like, cause he got traded, but anyways, um, and he was on that team. I felt like I had locked up the steals early and the saves early. And, and I really hadn't like, it was just me feeling comforted in hindsight, I probably should have drafted better players early, overall baseball players early, and then been, like you say, you have to have a steals plan, but maybe part of that plan is battling throughout the season. Yep, exactly. There's, exactly. There are Bubba Thompsons out there. I, I know I named Birdie, I named Jake McCarthy. Bubba Thompson's another guy who, Nate Eaton right now, like these guys are, are stealing a couple bases a week. So yep. uh, they're available, and they were not expensive on the waiver wire down the stretch. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's, that's absolutely right. So, yeah. so it goes. So yeah. it goes. Um, we had a couple other uh, things on your list. Some of those were specific players. Some of this is, I, I think, the other categorical possible error that you alluded to was the players who signed late. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe that we as a group overrated them. Maybe we, uh, you know, underrated how hard it was for them to get going. Trevor Story, Nick Castellanos, um, and just you know, guys that sign in there. Uh, you know, the guys that sign, you know, the contract year guys and you're one of their contract. Well, maybe you avoid them. Now, I'll say this, that Marcus Semien appeared to be one of those guys and was much yeah. better in the second half. He signed early, though. Same with Corey Seager. They both signed before the lockout. So maybe it's post-lockout, guys. I don't know. You know and we, I know Freddie, Free, for Freddie Freeman signed fairly late, right? True. Um, true. Um, so it wasn't all of them, but 
And I, I don't think that one I bought, I decided not to, when you said to name one more, I decided, well, I don't think I'll pick that one because I don't think it's going to be as much of a thing the well, next couple yeah. years. I, we'll see. We'll see how the free agent market moves. But I am going to try to remember that if we are, dra- if we're drafting labor in February and there are still a few guys unsigned, uh, Eddie Rosario is another one, just awful season. He signed late. I know he's not a superstar player, but. Had a vision problem. Yeah. 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 His didn't. Yeah. Everything went really for him but I, I am going to remember that I don't think yeah. it'll be as much of a thing but I definitely I think again this is enthusiasm like Trevor Story signs with the Red Sox and you're like hey that's a pretty good fit for a guy leaving Coors Field it's probably about as good as we can get okay I'm in I'm back in on him you know Nick Castiano signs with the Phillies okay good park pretty solid lineup okay I'm back in but yeah, let me ask you this are you yeah. going to be taking the discount on both of them next year though I think too early for me to say um, on Castellanos, I think more likely we'll see it. Cause I feel like he could be really cheap mm-hmm. story. Uh, I'm going to have to dive in on him a little more okay. because maybe I just don't want post Coors story. Also, I feel, I, I don't know. I'll have to look at it. He also battled injuries. I felt like off and on all season um or a lot of the season he kind of got off to a slow start and then battled injuries off and on throughout the season so i'll decide if i think that my conclusion on that is he's you know he's going to be injury prone next year or if the conclusion is maybe he could come back off that and get a you know a good off season and have a uh you know a healthier season next year so um uh, yeah maybe more likely castellanos than story because i think castellanos will be a lot cheaper i think you're right about that i mean he'll go back to this pre-reds crisis perhaps yes yeah yeah I think, I think and he's a awesome. good hitter for several years right before this year yeah uh, i i think year two of these kind of, i think that's a thing i think harper machado are good examples of guys that bounce back in year two Lindor's another one uh you know where you know he didn't sign a free agent contract necessarily but he got traded because of the contract signed a big extension blah 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 had the bad year then bounced back this year had a very good year i yeah. think that is a thing yeah. Um, I think that is possible. So I'll be looking forward to some of that this year. And that, that may be a, a subject of some, of a post uh, off season article. We'll see about yeah, that. That's a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. All right. We're going to keep this a little shorter guys. We got one more next week with Fred and I together. Um, but I'm off to update the value meter. So, uh, mm-hmm. off we go. And Fred, uh, thanks for doing the late night zinky after dark podcast. Yeah, no problem. My alarm to get up for work in the morning goes off in a little under five hours. So uh, I'll be bleary-eyed at work tomorrow, but it's all worth it. It's like it's good to talk baseball late at night. Exactly. And I have a similar early alarm to go see my dad at the hospital. So uh, we'll be uh, doing the same thing there. All right. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to the Roto-Wire Fantasy Fantasy Baseball Podcast. (laughs) Uh, I got the uh, prospect pod with James tomorrow. And, of course, uh, Todd is going to be stepping in for me on Thursday this week. A very special guest, a young up-and-coming guy named Ron Chandler is going to be joining us on the podcast, Todd and Ron. So should be a lot of fun. Tune in for that. Thanks for listening to the Roto-Wire Baseball Podcast. Take care.